music. This WPTF Radio. It's at AM 680 and FM at 98.5. Be sure to set one of your buttons on each band in your car radio so you can hear WPTF daily and each night, Monday through Friday from 9 until 10, you can listen to the Tom Kearney Show live and in real time. And uh, we try to bring you things that are entertaining and uh, educational. And we have one of our uh, favorite guests to come back and visit with us tonight. Uh, his name is uh, Ken Howard. I always get confused about his name, and I shouldn't say this because I've been saying it every time he's come for the last 15 years or so. I always think of him as the by the actor who had the same name who was on a television program that I liked many years ago called The White Shadow. Ken Howard, are you there? I am, Tom. It's so good to talk to you again. It's been a while. It has been a while. I think, uh, uh, well, you know, I was out a while last year, and uh, I think you've been back once since then. I, I was incapacitated for a while, so uh, so I'm sort of, with that, that marker, I measure things from that. It was before broken leg and after broken leg. <laughs> but in any event, uh, uh, it's good to have you with us tonight and to talk because uh, history keeps being generated. As as I think there was a, a British uh, historian or the poet laureate or somebody said, history is just one thing after another. Actually, he used a four-letter word in there, but he uh, <laughs> had the point across. <laughs> somebody had asked him what he thought about history. But you, fortunately, and I'm glad, uh, preside over the North Carolina Museum of History, and you have done that since about, was it 2008? Is that 2007, like? actually. This is my, uh, starting my 14th year now, I think. And it seems like yeah, I almost remembered it. it. It might have been something that you thought of. I, I don't mean to be nosy, and well, but I thought of it as a, a temporary endeavor and so on. But uh, I'm, yeah. if that is the case, I'm glad it was, and I'm glad you're here. And you folks have done a lot of good stuff, I think. Well, thank you, Tom. And it's been, it started out to be a six-month job, and it's turned into 14 years so far. So uh, it's been a lot of fun. And, of course, the museum is such a great place for people to visit. We've got so many great exhibits. And, and now, with the pandemic, we have gone virtual. So we've got virtual exhibits that we'll talk about a little bit later and, and all kinds of virtual programs and activities. There's just, there's just so much we've, uh, we've had to ch- kind of change our direction a little bit. Well, that's maybe something you can outline for us. Um... I don't want to put you on, throw you a curveball or anything, but where would you like to start tonight? Would I, I had suggested to you in our pregame interview uh, that we might talk a little bit about uh, what the situation is now in terms of uh, the museum of being open and what hours and so on, and, and and maybe repeat that toward the end for people who tune in late and so on. But it, but uh, that is something we, given the current situation with. COVID and so on that we, we need to, to clear up for everybody so they'll know when they can come and when they can. But you're pretty much back open, aren't you? Yes, Tom. We opened back in September, and we are open Tuesdays through Sundays. Uh, Tuesdays through Saturdays we're open from 9 to 5, and Sundays from noon to 5. And so the weekends have been picking up, and with spring break uh, this past couple of weeks, uh, even our, our visitors during the day have been picking up. So uh, it's a great place to come visit. We have had, uh, we, you know, with, of course, we'll mandate everybody to wear a mask and to, and to keep socially distant, safely distant from uh, other non of their family members, their non-family members as they travel through the museum. And we've got hand wipes throughout the museum, and we've got all kinds of, the, you know, the special things throughout the museum to keep people safe and, and, uh, and keep our visitors safe. But uh, 
Well, we closed in, in mid-March, about March the 16th, we closed with the governor's order. And so we took everything online. So if you uh, visit our webpage, ncmuseumofhistory.org, you'll see something called History at Home. And uh, that's where we started putting a lot of our uh, online activities. So our podcasts, the films that we've done, the uh, we did some virtual exhibits put those online. We did some online activities. And for, for parents at home with, with students, we did all kinds of educational activities, like educational lesson plans and things that people could do with their, uh, their students at home. So we just it, we really took the museum um, you know, out of the museum and put it online. And we do lots of lectures. Uh, we've got two lectures a month called History at High Noon, where you can tune in and, and, and listen to a great speaker. And then we have two programs in the in the evening twice a month uh, called History and Highballs, where you get to uh, you know mix your favorite drink and listen to a great speaker on uh, whether it be architecture or historic sites or other great programs uh, that the museum has been been offering since last March. So uh, we do have lots of great things, and so that's what I would say is even though we are back open, we are continuing all of our digital programs, all of our virtual programs. We've, we had this past year had to do our festivals, our American Indian Heritage Celebration, and our African American Cultural Celebration all had to go virtual. But we got to tape all those things, and so they are online. And if you go look at our virtual series library uh, on our homepage, uh, there are all kinds of great things out there, past lectures that we've had and, and past programs that uh, even if you missed it, you get to, you can come up and watch it again. So uh, that's kind of what we're doing is continuing to put as much information online as we can. The benefit is that's kind of spread the, the uh, museum out. We no longer have people just from around North Carolina or, you know, who are people who are traveling through Raleigh to come by. We've got people from afar ways. We did the program the other night, and, and uh, somebody from Austria had dialed into the program. So we've had multiple countries and certainly multiple states, uh, visitors to our digital series, our virtual series, have been taking advantage of it. So it really has allowed the museum to spread its reach out to uh, just further than North Carolina, and it's been great. Well, as I, I was telling you before we took to the air, I, that's what I did this afternoon. I didn't complete the whole tour, but I found a lot of things. Uh, if you've been, ladies and gentlemen, to the museum and you say, well, I was there not too long ago, there's lots of new and good and uh, virtual stuff to, to watch, and I found out. I've been playing around in North Carolina history for 70 years now, and I learned two or three things this afternoon, and, and, and which we always can do. So it's a, it's a good tour, particularly in, in the area of African-American history and the, you know, the ride of 1898 in Alexander Galloway and John Chavis and all that stuff, and, uh, and, and the Native American history, too. So uh, uh, it's a good, good thing to, to, to do on, a, on like a rainy day or something, or if you're just plain curious. You can do the tour without going downtown. But we're tonight going to talk about going downtown, too. And uh, did, did you say the, the address? Is it five, it's 5 Edenton Street, is five, it? E, 5 East Edenton Street, Tom. It's right across the street from the Capitol and at the end of the mall. between. We're at the end of uh, Bicentennial Mall, which is the, runs between the Capitol and the Legislative Building. And we're on the... Edenton Street end, so uh, and there is plenty of parking. Let me tell you, there's plenty of parking downtown. And the price, as they as they say in my hometown, it was right, and that is there basically there are no charges. And one of the things that I, I like about the museum 
is that it's the complete museum. I mean, you can, you, uh, I guess you can still buy something to eat there. And there are even some outside exhibits, if I remember correctly. We, Tom, right now our restaurant is in the process of reopening because there haven't been enough people downtown. We've had the restaurant closed, but I spoke okay. to the operator of the restaurant today, and they're looking at reopening uh, maybe in the next week or so. Uh, and, but even though we still have the museum shop, so if you want to buy some good old North Carolina peanuts or cheese straws or uh, all types of uh, old older-style candy and and drinks and things, um, we do sell those in our museum shop. And the museum shop is a great place to buy all things North Carolina and lots that's and lots the, of great books about North that's Carolina. That's where the bookstore is, is it not? It is. Uh, I, when I was, I mentioned earlier, and I, uh, when I was incarcerated because I had a broken leg, my therapist uh, it was not a native North Carolinian, but I talked to him about North Carolina so much, he said he wanted to get a good history in it. So I... I packed him off to your museum to find something. I told him I, I was sure he could find something about the history of North Carolina there. And uh, I haven't heard from him, so I guess he found it. Most books about North Carolina are there, I think. Uh, and, and, uh, but he wanted to jump. He had two kids, and he wanted. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, Tommy, and you're right. We have lots of things for children and younger visitors at the shop, too. So lots of uh, children's books about North Carolina history and, and, and lots of things for, for kids. So it is, it's a great place to go shop if you're looking for North Carolina pottery or North Carolina products, as I said, like Berkey County peanuts or other things. We've got some, some great things in the shop and, of course, a lot of great books. Our guest tonight is... Uh, uh I'll be all right in just a second here. Uh, Ken Howard, who is the, I guess, the executive director of the North Carolina Museum of History. I can never keep titles right. I'm not good at nomenclature. But uh, in any know. event, he's our guest tonight, and he's helping us understand what's going on at the Museum of History, and a lot of new things are going on, and there's going to be a new exhibit. If it hasn't opened, it will open very soon. It has to do with North Carolina's participation through its citizens in Wars from the Spanish-American War through World War II, and we will ask Ken Howard to talk about that when we come back right after this. Monday through Friday from 9 until 10, and uh, we try to have a potpourri of subjects that uh, we think might interest the audience, and tonight we're talking about North Carolina's Museum of History, located in downtown Raleigh on Edenton Street, just across from one side of the the uh, North Carolina Capitol building and down to the other end of the block from the Museum of Science. It's a really good day for to take your children and go down there, and the price is right. The director of the museum, Ken Howard, is our guest tonight, and uh, we've, we've got some of the hardware out of the way and, and uh, the incidentals, uh, you know, like hours and so on. And now we can come to the... Uh, I think what's going to be a big exhibit recently, oh, back uh, about five years ago, the museum had a really good exhibit on, Ameri on North Carolina's participation in World War One, and I think we've they've enlarged it now. It's it's different. Uh, uh, well, we'll let Ken Howard explain that, but it's going to include a participation by North Carolina citizens in uh, the uh, Spanish American War, World War One, and World War Two. Ken. Did I get that about half right? You did, sir. You did a great job, Tom. I'll just sit here and listen to 
you. How about that? <laughs> you can't handle that one. <laughs> no, but it's, 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 it's a good subject, and uh, I know uh, I've had the gentleman on uh, from the Archives and History several years. Uh, I can't think of his name right now, and I'm embarrassed. He lives in Irwin, North Carolina, uh, who uh, it was actually in the military. I think he got his uh, master's degree from NC State, and started uh, getting uh, resources from North Carolina citizens, you know, who had been in the war, you know, letters and, and other things that would would preserve the history of North Carolina citizens. But talk, talk to us about the exhibit that you folks have got. Thank you, Tommy. It's called Answering the Call. It's experiences of North Carolina's military veterans from 1898 to 1945, so from the Spanish-American War up through 1945. So... We did take the trenches for those people who went and saw the World War I exhibit. We kept those trenches, and we expanded that exhibit to cover from the Spanish-American War up through World War II, and we've done some great things. Uh, you know, we don't talk a whole lot about uh, the, the actual war itself and the battles and things. We talk more about the stories of the people from North Carolina who actually served in the war. So for those people who served in, in the Spanish-American War and, and – served in World War I and World War II, and even the wars in between. People don't realize that in 1914, we kind of invaded Mexico in Veracruz, and uh, there are a couple of North Carolinians who are actually in the Navy who were awarded the Medal of Honor for, uh, for their actions during on that period. So um, it's, it's lots of great personal stories about people. Now, we certainly, we're going to have a few firearms to look at, and we've got lots of vignettes in there. Uh, you know, a bunker from World War One, and we've got some other things, and there's lots of lots of lights and sounds about what it was like to be in the trenches in World War One, or be on the beach at Iwo Jima in 1945 and in, in World War Two. Um, so it, it's just it's just a really good exhibit. The staff has done a great job, but it it really allows you to to learn a little bit more about those people who answered the call um, and and went over to serve, uh, not only again overseas, but also those who served here at home. Um, so we talk about the uh, the WAFs, the women's, you know, Air Force, the WACs, the women, the, and the WAFs, and all those folks who also served in, in the military during World War II. Um, you know, we, North Carolina, ironically, one of North Carolina's natives uh, was the most decorated nurse in World War One, although she was working for the British and, and served in British hospitals. But uh, her name was Glory Hancock, and uh, she, was a, she was a battle from Goldsboro, and we were fortunate to uh, have several years ago the family donate all of her medals that she had had uh, put into a little case before she passed away. And um, so, anyway, we've got just got some great stories to learn about about people who served and how they served, and um, folks from all walks of life that served in the military. And, and even those uh, we even delve into the OS, for World War II. We delve into the OSS. Um, there was a North Carolinian from Durham who was very prominent in the OSS and, and actually helped design some of those uh, James Bond-type things that, you, that they used back in, in World War II. So uh, it's really a very interesting exhibit, and I think people will really, really enjoy it. Tell me the lady's name from Goldsboro again. I don't believe – see, I told you I thought, I've discovered several things today that I had never heard before. And uh, she, was it like – did you say Hancock or something like yeah, that? Yeah, her, her, they, they called her uh, Glory. The, the soldiers in World War One called her Glory, um, but it was her, her, I can't remember her first name, but it was Battle, her, her maiden name was Battle. She was a Battle from Rocky Mount, 
And okay. uh, last name was Hancock. She married a British officer um, and, uh, and and moved to England. And then uh, when World War One started, she, she was a nurse and went into the nursing corps and served in, in Belgium and, and in France, I think. Uh, but she was she was the most decorated nurse in World War World War One. So hey, really interesting, and uh, this is sounds like you were paying more attention. You know, most of the time when we we when we were in school, the part they pay attention to is the battles. You know, the advancing on this front or that front, but never quite as much about what I would call the social history of of the people behind the lines. Uh, the women who ended up in the Red Cross making bandages and, and so on and uh, things like exactly. that. Exactly. And I, so, in fact, I, I remember back when you were doing the World War One thing, the our guest, uh, who, Barry Porter, who comes from the Red Cross, that was on with a, a lady, and it was we were talking about the history of, uh, well, the Red Cross really cranked up. It became a, a real active organization in America and actually was authorized to do what it does during World War One, and so there's a, mm-hmm. there's a lot of stories that have not been told. And, uh, you know, one of the things, Ken, that I discovered is that uh, older guys who were in the military sometimes come home from the war and they just don't want to talk about it. But as they get older, as they get, you know, in, the, in their final years, then they are ready to talk about it, and that's when you can get some good testimony. And, and I, I hope you have visitors. Uh, there are not many vets left, if, if any, from World War One, but there's still folks alive who uh, who were active in World War Two, and I hope they come visit with you. It'll be good to have them there. We do, and and, and we've done a lot of things, Tom. We've, we've reenacted some film shorts that uh, that bring to life the stories of, of people uh, using scripts or based on uh, on primary sources. So, so for instance, uh, you know, especially World War One, well, both World War One and World War Two, you know, vets would write letters home. And uh, and so we've we, a lot of those letters, as you say, are in the state archives, and we were able to pull those letters, and we would have an, an actor read those letters uh, to give you an idea of what people were really thinking when they were when they were overseas. So we, as I said, we've done some environmental vignettes that depict the World War One trenches and a and the beaches at Iwo Jima. We actually have a, a World War Two pack howitzer uh, that we have uh, on the beaches at Iwo Jima. So it's just the staff's done a really, really good job at the exhibit, and we're going to have some programs that will be coming up uh, in the, the spring and early summer, too, uh, that are based around the World War II section of the exhibit, some lectures and things. And so, again, those are all on our website as well. But I really encourage people to come see the visit exhibit. Now, this, is, this will be a permanent exhibit at the museum. So uh, this took the place of our old uh, Call to Arms, which was our previous military exhibit that went all the way through Iraq and Afghanistan. And so this is phase one. This is, again, Spanish-American War through World War II. And in the future, we'll be adding from Korea up through Iraq, Afghanistan uh, to this exhibit as well. So when we're all done, it's going to be a, a very large exhibit to um, commemorate and, and memorialize those North Carolinians who have answered the call. At the North Carolina Museum of History, as described by the director, Mr. Ken Howard, who is our guest tonight, we're coming up on a point where we check the news around the world and find out what's going on, and then we'll have a second half of the program and talk about some of the other exhibits at the North Carolina Museum of History on the Tom Kearney Show on WPTF. On this Wednesday night, I believe it's April the 14th, and uh, Mr. Ken Howard, uh, director of the North Carolina Museum of History, 
is our guest tonight. Uh, I think he was last here probably about six, maybe seven months ago. It's been a while, and so he's updating us on the, the hours that the museum is opening and some of the continuing exhibits and some of the new exhibits that are at the museum. Ken, are you are you back with us? I am, Tom. Are you ready to go forward and talk about some of the other exhibits? We, Tom, we got so much stuff to talk about. You're going to need a two-hour program. I, I was thinking that. That's what John told me. He said, we're too bad. <laughs> well, let me take a moment to remind people, certainly to visit our website, ncmuseumofhistory.org, because that's where they'll find information on all of our programs, our exhibits, our online materials. Uh, there's just so much on there, and so we encourage people to visit that website. And again, to remind people that the museum is open Tuesdays through Sundays, Tuesdays through Saturdays from 9 to 5, and on Sundays from 12 to 5. And we are a free museum down on 5 East Eden Street, downtown Raleigh. So, may, the time I'm, go ahead. May I ask a question before you go on? Sure. The, the, uh, the, the, uh, I can't remember what you call it, but it's the history at lunch kind of thing. History uh, at high noon. At high noon. That was actually today, and I think you said you usually do it once a month. And the schedule on the website would reflect, you know, the different dates, you know, what date it will be held in May and so on, unless I'm mistaken, right? Actually, actually, we've got one more to do. We actually do two a month. And okay. um, we are pleased to welcome uh, Congresswoman Deborah Ross, who's our congressperson from the 2nd District, is going to be on with us on, um, let's see, what day is that? Thursday, April the 26th, I think. Now, hold on, let me check my... Check our events here. Uh, but anyway, Deborah, uh, Congress, Congresswoman Ross, has, uh, we pre-recorded an interview with her. It's going to be on Wednesday, April 28th at, at high noon. Uh, and she talks all about what it was like to, you know, you get elected to Congress, and now what do you do? You know, how do you, where is you, how do you get your office? And how, what committees do you get appointed to? And, and how does all this stuff work when you've been elected for the first time to Congress? So. We just had a, a great conversation and some great questions. We had to pre-record this one. Usually we do them live, but because uh, she did not know what her schedule would be if she'd get called in onto the floor for a vote or get called into committee meetings, so we pre-recorded it. But I would encourage people to watch that again. That's going to be at noon on uh, Wednesday, April the 28th. And then, um, so we do two of those a month. Um, we also have a program called Coffee with the Curator. And uh, that's a morning program that we do about 20 to 30 minutes with, from 10 to 10.30 in the morning with one of our curators who talks about a particular topic. And uh, this next one coming up on uh, Tuesday, April 27th, is going to be all about uh, textiles and, uh, and the texture of textiles and things. So it's going to be uh, really interesting. And then uh, coming up toward the end of the month on our History and Highballs program, uh, we will have, um, because this is, is, this is uh, Poetry Month, National Poetry Month, and we're going to do uh, a program on Carl Sandburg, A Walk in the Woods with Carl Sandburg, and that's on Thursday, April the 29th, and that's a, a 7 o'clock program. So um, anyway, there's great, great things out there on the website. Uh, oh, I've forgotten the Forgotten B1 Band is going to be on Wednesday, April the 21st. Um, that, that is also a... Um, uh, a 7 o'clock in the evening, evening talk. And the B1 band was the uh, Navy band. They were all African-American, and they uh, trained over at Chapel Hill. And uh, they, they were part of the U.S. Navy's program in, in Chapel Hill, and they were uh, apparently became a, a very famous band. 
Um, but anyway, it's uh, lots of great programs, Tom. Lots of great things, again, on our website, ncmuseumofhistory.org. And obviously, all of these programs are free. So you can uh, go online and register, and then when the program gets close, they'll send you a link that you click on. We're doing all this through Zoom, and you click on it, and it'll take you right into the, to the program, and you can sit and listen to the talk and use the chat feature to send in questions for the uh, so, for the so These programs are virtual, but I want to make a recommendation to you when you when you have the curator on who talks about Carl Sandburg, who was, while he wasn't born in North Carolina, died in North Carolina, and he lived in North Carolina. To, someone should ask you about his his wife's goats. Uh, uh, uh. Uh, that's a good point. That's right. I forgot about that. Well, she, his wife, they lived in, I think, near Hendersonville in the mountains. And, uh, uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. and uh, his Flat wife Rock. kept, uh, Flat Rock, okay, and kept uh, kept some goats, and they have maintained the goat herd since then. So you can, there's a little vestige of Carl Sandberg, one of America's great poets, but one that has been to a great extent forgotten. Uh, and so, uh, that's good. That's really good. But, Tom, another great exhibit we have, and I know you're familiar with this, is beach music, Making oh, Ways yeah. in the Carolinas. So we opened this exhibit in September. It's the first exhibit we opened when we, uh, the first new exhibit we opened when we reopened the museum. And it's, it's a great exhibit. So it's all about beach music in the Carolinas, the origins of beach music, you know, the African-American beaches in the 50s and the bands that started playing. Uh, what became beach music, uh, and then, of course, we talk about some of the great bands, the Band of Oz, the Embers, the Chairman of the Board, the Tams, all those great beach music bands uh, are talked about in this exhibit, and we've got a great jukebox with full of 45s, uh, no quarters needed to play, and, uh, and then we also have built a dance floor, and we've got a video for those of you who don't know how to shag, which is the beach music dance, uh, we have a video that plays that allow, and we've got steps marked out on the dance floor to, uh, to ch- teach you how to shag. So it's another great exhibit. Of course, lots of great music in it if you're a beach music fan, and lots of great stories from people. We interview people like Craig Willard and, and some of the other people who've been in some of the beach music ba- bands over the time, and uh, it's just a, a really, really good exhibit, and it's, uh, I hope people will come see that one as well. May I, may I interject a couple of things? I- Get to kibitz a little bit here. One, if you have not read, and our listeners have not read David Menconi's book, The Story of North Carolina Popular Music, you should read that. It's uh, published by UNC Press, and it has the best definition of beach music that I've ever heard, and that is it's music that was on the jukebox at the beach that wasn't on the jukebox back in your hometown. And so, <laughs> and you needed those quarters. A guy that I went to school with, died four or five years ago, and, and in his obituary, it was listed that among the things that he had done in his life is he was a member of two Beach Music Hall of Fame. So you can tell it matters uh, and to, to, to people who like to lay down some steps. And so uh, and I'm glad, you, glad you're doing that thing on Beach Music. And uh, anyway, that's, and that's my kibitz thing on Beach Music. Well, essentially you mentioned that because we do talk about the Beach Music Hall of Fame. There's the Beach Music Hall of Fame for the DJs, Beach Music DJs, and then there is that Beach Music Hall of Fame for those people who were great shag dancers. Right, so, exactly. Um, I think it's one in Ocean Drive, I believe, is, which is the mm-hmm. subject of one of the songs, as a matter of fact. But uh, you lived, uh, I think, near the coast, so you probably knew all about it. So. I grew up in Wilmington and Carolina Beach and Wrightsville were two of those places where you could hear beach music. And there's a 
there's, you know, stories, where did the shag begin? And, and some people think it's South Carolina. Some people think it was Carolina Beach. Other people, it was the uh, Senate Rifle. So uh, it, we've just got some really interesting stories. Uh, and, again, trying to educate people about what beach music is all about. It certainly is. In North Carolina, it's not the Beach Boys. No, no, I can remember when I they first started promoing beach music, they were saying beach music is coming, and nobody could figure out what they were talking. This was 50 years ago. Could figure out what they were talking about, and it was what I described earlier, the music that the, that the North Carolina teenagers and other people found at the beach. By the way, I want to nominate the pavilion at Atlantic Beach as a place where the shag may have begun. So, uh. <laughs> we talk about that. We also have a we have a whole section on all the different beach music clubs, and the pavilion go. was was one of them listed. That's for sure. Uh, that's a good story. That's a good piece of history to 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 uh, keep alive. I think, and I, I apologize for inter- for jumping in so much, but I I, I no. enjoyed uh, reading. Uh, Mr. Manconi's book, and, and I'm glad that you folks are doing that. It'll keep it alive for us. And, Tom, the newest exhibit we have coming up is going to open on April the 30th, and it's called uh, Are We There Yet? It's all about North Carolina's Variety Vacation Land, Variety Vacation Land campaign that ran from the 1930s to the 1970s. And this exhibit is all about uh, that campaign and how we encourage tourism in North Carolina We've got vintage tourism-related photos and artifacts from the mountains and the Piedmont and the coast. And uh, we talked about some other things as well. You know, although the, it was started in the Great Depression, the campaign started, and, and, of course, they had all kinds of films. And if you remember the Variety Vacation Land song that they, they played, the little jingle they played, in fact, they right. still played at Carolina football games and basketball games. Um, so this is all about, but we also point out some things in this one that, you know, they're this was more directed at whites than it was obviously African-Americans. And so we talk a little bit about that, that uh, a lot of these sites were not, may not have been available or promoted for African-Americans to attend and see. So um, it's, it's going to be a really good exhibit. And like I say, we've got lots of vintage photographs and artifacts. And for those people that traveled during North Carolina and North Carolina during those 50s, 60s, and 70s, they'll probably see a lot of things they remember traveling as a child. So. Well, one of the memories that that myself can remember of WPTF growing up was Bob Farrington, and, uh, the great bass voice announcer who passed away last year, doing a, an ID and referring to uh, WPTF as the voice of Variety Vacation Land, and so it, it caught on everywhere. So it, it was a great campaign, and like I say, we're we're uh, glad that we'll be able to talk about about that, both the positives and the negatives of the campaign, but. It's great, and like I say, we're going to have all kinds of great programs going on. I've mentioned, uh, again, things like the B1 Band, and uh, in May we've got some great things coming up. Uh, can we, can, we, stop for, can we stop for a yeah. moment and take a break? And sure. I know you may be planning to mention the the suffragettes uh, tonight, among gotta, other things. you got to talk uh, about that one, too. But... Uh, uh, Ken Howard will be back to talk some more about North Carolina's Museum of History and all the good stuff that's going on there right after this. Tom Kearney here. Every night, Monday through Friday from 9 to 10. And on this Wednesday night, we're talking with Ken Howard of the North Carolina Museum of History about all the good and interesting things that they're doing to help us preserve and understand our past. And uh, 
Ken, we've got about nine minutes left before the end of the program. And when we're doing these things kind of remote like this, we have to use a different strategy than we would when we were sitting in the studio and could look at the clock and know what's going on. But uh, I mentioned earlier that you, I'm imagining that you might want to talk about the suffrage movement. And let me ask if uh, the, the toy box is still open down at the Museum of History. Toy box. Oh, the toy exhibit, yes. Uh, yeah, the toy exhibit. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, toys from the 1950s and 1960s. That exhibit has been really popular. Um, it's uh, called Toy Boom. And, again, if you grew up in the 1950s and 1960s, you probably had a lot of toys that we had in this exhibit. So it's uh, been really good and, and really interesting. We've done several trivia programs when people could end up in nostalgia programs talking about you know, their favorite toy, whether it was a hula hoop or they pridefully owned a Davy Crockett, you know, coonskin cap or, or, or uh, a slinky or, or, or indeed whatever uh, along the way. So I, I know that's popular, and I'm sure it's been a popular exhibit. So I, that's why I wanted to ask about that. But uh, and, and I and yeah, the suffragettes too, because I want to make sure that. Uh, that Miss Gertrude, the native of my hometown, gets mentioned in that because she was a very significant suffer. And it was what I believe the 19th Amendment that uh, permitted ladies to vote. Exactly right. Last year, 2020, was the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment being approved. And so we did an exhibit called You Have to Start a Thing uh, because that was something that one of the first women, in fact, the first woman elected to the legislature was from Asheville, and she actually was before women were allowed to vote. And she had this this uh, saying that you have to start a thing. You got to do something, you have to start a thing. And so it's all about the suffrage movement in North Carolina. Uh, and as you're right, Mrs. Wheel was one of the, the major suffragettes in North Carolina um, that was pushing for this. And it's a really good exhibit. It's on the lobby level of our exhibit. We, it's, it's been open, stayed open a long time because we opened the exhibit right before we closed the museum for the pandemic. So we've kept this exhibit up because we really want people to see it. And it's uh, got lots of, uh, of great interest in it and, and talks a lot about, uh, you know, North Carolina was not really one of the states that actually supported the 19th Amendment, but it talks about those people in the state that did support the, the, the right to, for women to vote. If I remember, our sister state to the West was the was the state that, that cast the boat, vote that... Uh, the tipping point vote. Uh, Tennessee is what I'm speaking of, if I remember correctly. They, they actually you, did a, a documentary on television about that, I think. So. Uh, yep. You do remember correctly. You're right about that, Tom. Okay. I, I learned my history lesson good then. Uh, <laughs> you know, something we might want to do, uh, if, if, if it's appropriate for you, is to loop around and go back to the... the, uh, the uh, uh, North Carolina's participation in the wars event again, and also the hours and stuff like that, so that people who may not have been here at the beginning will know. The, the, the North Carolina's participation in Spanish-American War and World War One and World War Two. that exhibit has just opened or it is about to open, is that correct? Uh, just, it just opened last week, Tom. Opened on okay. April the 6th, yes, answering the call, experiences of North Carolina's military veterans, 1898 to 1945. So you're correct. We go from the Spanish-American War currently up through World War II, and in the future we'll be going up through Iraq, Afghanistan. But uh, it's, a, again, a, a great exhibit. The museum is open again Tuesdays through Saturdays from 9 to 5, and Sundays from 12 to 5. 
Uh, we are a free museum. All of the exhibits are free. And we have a wonderful museum shop for people who would like to buy things, all things North Carolina, or are looking for some particular books about North Carolina history uh, are, are available in our shop as well. And again, I want to encourage people to visit our website, ncmuseumofhistory.org, uh, where you'll find all types of information and all types of online things to do. Again, as we mentioned, our virtual exhibits uh, and then lots of all, all the talks that we've done, we have recorded and, and put those out there for people to listen to as well, all of our lectures and things. Uh, Tom, we forgot to mention the North Carolina Sports Hall of Fame. Well, you, you all great minds run on the same track because literally I was going to ask you that next because I had intended, because I normally have had uh, the gentleman who was the director, but he's no longer Mr. Fish. And, yeah. and I got lost because of my problem with the hospital last year. And so on. So I need to be in touch with him and find out. It will be induct Do you know if the induction is going to be usually around the 1st of, first of May? Uh, it is. Yeah, you know, they didn't, they didn't do it this past year, so they're going to have a major induction in May. And, uh, okay. Yes. Yeah. All right, well, that's, uh, that, that in itself is helpful to me because I need to be in touch with them and see if we can invite them to come and talk about the new people who are going to be in the... The Sports Hall of Fame is located, if I remember correctly, in the Museum of History. So it is located up on the third floor. We we have the the museum, the Hall of Fame, but we don't pick the pick the people that go in it. So um, if if you come by and you don't see your favorite hero in the in the Sports Hall of Fame, that's not on us. Uh, we just we just put their stuff in the on exhibit. And the last thing, Tom, really would be the story of North Carolina, you know, the permanent yes. exhibit we have on the history of the state. It's, it's the longitudinal view, I think, you know, the whole it, the whole thing. So, that's right. right. All the way through. Well, I think it's, uh, I was going to say about the Sports Hall of Fame, and this is a recommendation for the rest of the Hall of Fame, too. My brother and I had gone there to see a Civil War exhibit. You can tell how long ago this was. But we, we had not thought about the Sports Museum, and both of us are fans. And we sort of stumbled on it, so to speak. It was when it was in the basement. And uh, they, I think, had a uh, Richard Petty car down there and, of course, all the plaques and so on. And if you've, if you've been to Canton, to the Football Hall of Fame, and to Cooperstown, you like to go to Hall of Fames and see how people are, are done up, you know, how they are recognized and so on. So uh, if you're a sports fan, that's the place you'll want to go. And it will remind you of a lot of people whose names were, say, prominent at one time but have sort of been lost, so to speak, uh, and mm -hmm. that's why you have Halls of Fame, so you can remember those people before the, as I like to say, before the colors fade, but that's, uh, I think, you, it, that's on your, what, your third floor, is that right? Uh, it is, Tom, right, it's up on the third floor, sure is, all right, the same, same floor with our military exhibit that we talked and about. And I apologize for interrupting you so many times tonight, I've just been kind of overjoyed at having you on and having you talk about the Sports Hall of Fame and the fact that it's open and people can go there. They they need to recognize the you know they need to wear a mask and keep their distance but they can go see the North Carolina Museum of History. You know something we didn't mention and let me see, we've only got about thirty seconds. But the the other museums, the Museum of the Albemarle, the uh, yes, North Carolina has seven history museums. We have the Museum of the Albemarle in Elizabeth City. We have three maritime museums: the Museum, uh, the Graveyard Atlantic Museum in Hatteras. Uh, Maritime Museum in Beaufort, which features all the Queen Anne's Revenge, Blackbeard ship uh, artifacts, because he wrecked his ship off Beaufort, and then uh, the museum down in Southport Maritime Museum. And we have the Museum of the Cape Fear in Fayetteville and Mountain Gateway Museum up in Old Fort. So North Carolina's got museums scattered all across the state. 
Well, thank you. I'm glad we got that in. I had made a note to myself when I was studying the website today to re to remind us of that. Thank you, Ken, so much for being on. I would like to give you a little call right after the show, if I may, for just a couple of minutes, if you don't Please mind. Please do, Tom. And, and thank you very much for having me on. I know I took up a lot of your time talking about all the things we've got going on, but no, we're just no, so excited to that's why I kept interjecting, because I'm excited, too. Ken Howard has been our guest tonight. Tomorrow night, we're going to have a nostalgia night.